Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick in roughly the order that they were published in. In this episode, I'll be looking at the story Human Is. Human Is was part of a series of stories Dick wrote in, in 1953 dealing with uh, adultery. And I believe there's four stories that, that kind of fit together almost in a series. And they were all written in the sh- in a same period of time. In fact, two of them were written just weeks apart from one week apart from each other. And these stories would be uh, in the garden or out in the garden, beyond the door of withered apples. And, and in this story, human is. And they're all about the theme of adultery. And they all use non-human figures as someone who seduces a wife in an unhappy or a misguided or problematic marriage of some sort. So in Out in the Garden, it's a duck that basically seduces a, a miserable wife. In Beyond the Door, it's a cuckoo clock, believe it or not. Uh, in Of Withered Apples, it's a tree. Um, and that's a really interesting story because She's neglected, and, and the trees ne- both that are both neglected, and, and they come together, um, and actually, and reproduction is actually a theme in two in those two, um, of withered apples and, and out in the garden, where there's actually an offspring of these couplings, and then human is it's it's an alien, just to to give away the ending. That's of, I don't know. I guess this is the most famous of the bunch, in the story. I, it's actually going to be in that series, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. In fact, that episode will have Brian Cranston, who was kind of headlining the series. He'll be, you know, one of the, he's going to be the actor in that, in that story or in that, that episode. So Dick, about this story, wrote this. Notice he doesn't really talk about adultery. He's not going to talk about adultery. He's going to talk about a theme. Now, he writes this in 1976. He says, quote, to me, this story states my earlier conclusion as to what is human. I've not really changed my view since I wrote that story back in the 50s. It's not what you look like or what planet you were born in. It's, it's how kind you are. The quality of kindness to me distinguishes us from rocks and sticks and metal and will forever. Whatever shape we take, wherever we go, whatever we become. For me, human is, is my credo. May it be yours. Now, this is a much more optimistic way of reading the story. Y- yes, you can come away with this and say you should be kind and loving and not indifferent and cruel to the people in your life, right? But still at the heart of the story is this problematic marriage and a a failed human relationship. And that's so common to other stories he was writing at this time. It kept coming, it comes up so often, I I think we got to face it. Um, And yeah, partially perhaps Dick is projecting his own troubled relationships onto onto the page it may not be that he's a deeper critique of of monogamy and family um 
but we'll see. I mean, I, I think there might be something to that. Um, just to mention a couple other works where this comes up. Uh, game players of Titan. People swap marriages like they swap real estate. Cadbury, the, the beaver story. It's one of, I think it wasn't even published in his lifetime, but it's in the fifth volume of the collected stories. That's about a, an adulterous beaver. Oh, Dr. Blood Bunny. There's a scene in Dr. Blood Bunny. This is actually one of the better examples of this, where a, a man witnesses a nuclear war and he survives it. He's, he's like a salesman and he's on a truck. And I think he was actually sleeping with some woman. And when the bombs drop, his immediate thought is, I don't have to go back home to my wife and kids. I, I don't know how many of us would have this thought, and it's kind of troubling. Um, but there are many people in unhappy relationships and, and situations who might look kindly at something like a nuclear war as a liberatory thing, right? It needs a shock to, to, to break free of them, break free of this. Now, what happens in human is, is something very similar. Is we have this shock that breaks up a marriage. Um, and out of this creates a better situation for our our character. Um, so let's let's jump into this. Human is was published in startling stories in the winter of 1955. So I didn't know where to place this in the chronology. I put it at the end of 1955. It may have been I don't know if the winter meant January of 1955 or December. Uh, so I'm just going to say it was the end of the year, but. In any case, you're probably you're not going to probably go to Startling Stories to see this. If you want to find it, you can find it in the second volume of the Collected Stories of Philip K. Dick, The We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. The reason it's so early and the reason I didn't cover it before is it's not published until 1955, but it was in fact written in 1953. And the Collected Stories are arranged in the order that the stories were submitted to Dick's agent. Okay, so we got our two characters. It's basically a two-character story. There's a brother in it but he's not important it's, it's basically a two-character story for all intents and purposes it's jill herrick and her husband lester they're fighting they're in this argument actually two characters three at least because of the alien but you know two bodies and so they're fighting that's how the story opens lester deflects his wife's claim that he is hideous and he he doesn't actually care i mean they're in an argument but he almost doesn't really care enough about his wife to really fight with her very seriously he tells her that he will not allow their child in the house and that and he'll be removed to government custody because he's interfering with his research so that's how bad this man is he, he's actually telling his wife that i'm going to have our child taken from us raised by the government raised in government dormitories because he's interfering with my work his work now before the distraught wife can Pass this news on to their son Gus, Lester gets news that he'll be taking a trip to the planet Rexor 4. Jill uh, wants to go there and see the planet. So she, she thinks, well, can't we go together? Can't it be a family trip? And he says, no, I will go alone. Now, later, Jill is talking to her brother Frank and basically saying she's going to leave Lester. She explains how happy she has been she is with Lester gone. She, she's actually happier with him gone. She feels she has control of her life again. 
and that he's been getting worse. This husband is getting worse every year of their marriage. He's becoming more cold and more ruthless. This is the word she uses, ruthless. And then he's got this insistent work ethic that's getting in the way of family, even to the point where he thinks his work is more important than his son's, um, you know, where his son lives. Now, Lester comes back. He comes back a very, very different man. He starts to praise Jill's cooking, expresses disgust with his work on Rexer 4, studying toxins. He says he prefers Earth, and he wants to be home as much as he can with his wife. So he's a different person entirely. Now, Jill reports these changes to Frank, you know, what you know? because at first she's kind of shocked, and he's such a different person that something's obviously up. Lester is playing in the room with Gus, something he never used to do. He never used to play with his son. Frank has Lester brought to the lab for more studies under the guidance of the Federal Clearance Agency, which I guess is some kind of oversight, some kind of censorate uh, agency in the government. And before long, they pretty much figure out that Lester has had his body taken over by a Rexorian. They want to kill him immediately, the Rexorian, but Frank tells them that the military law can't apply on Terra, so their, their hands are a bit tied on what they can do here. He is still in a human body, so human laws will have to apply to him. So that's the kind of the legal problem here, but it's not really that important to the story. What really matters is, is Jill's decision. Frank reports all this to Jill, explaining that the Rexor, Rexor 4 is a dying planet. The survivors are trying to escape to other places by taking over people's bodies. So this thing has happened before. This isn't the first time. Now, there's an Outer Limits episode that has this idea. A little bit. I, I forget the name of the episode, but there's these aliens from a dying planet come to Earth and they just want to take over the, the dead people. So when someone dies, they like donate their body and like the Earth government decides to help them do this. I think it's the new series of The Outer Limits, the one from the, the mid 90s. The Earth government agrees to this, basically give the dead bodies to these aliens so then we'll take them over and then they, they kind of become alive again so you might meet your uncle but it's actually this alien in your uncle's body and that's kind of a similar theme there but this is they know about this but it's kind of they see it more as a threat and they want to stop it of course um, but they do believe there's a chance that Lester can be restored his mind is likely frozen in Rexor and can be returned once the Rexorian is killed so that's the plan. Maybe they can get Lester's mind back, liberate him. Or I don't know, I think it's if you kill the Rexorian, then the mind will kind of be out of purgatory and come back into Lester's body. Now, when Frank takes Jill to the Federal Clearance Agency where this procedure will be done, this killing of the Rexorian invader, Jill immediately denies that there's any change in Lester. She, she, turned, she changes her story entirely and she starts to say, no, no, there, you know, Lester's always been the same. This is how he always been. And he's just, you know, and she's very happy. So that's her choice. That's her decision. Her decision is to stay with an alien because he's a better husband. Jill uh, and the Rexori and Lester are enjoying a spring stroll at the end of the story. Jill knows it's not the real Lester, but asks for permission. But he asks for permission to keep calling him Lester. And it's kind of all in the open that it's an alien at this point in the story. But she wants to address him as, as Lester rather than whatever his alien name might be. All right. So Human Is is a relatively straightforward tale exploring 
this nature of humanity. This is one of Dick's interests. And that's what Dick talks about it, right? The thesis of the story is simple. No matter your physical nature, alien, human, or, or robot, because it's actually, Rick, Dick's going to do a lot more with robots than aliens. The point is, if you're kind, if you're empathetic, if you're caring, you are more human than someone who may be physically human and biologically human, but who is cruel and indifferent. Right. So the way he plays with this, I guess, most effectively, not into Andrew's Dream of Electricity. Actually, I think it's more well done in We Can Build You, where you actually have a, a schizoid woman who's not capable of emotions and a robot who's programmed to have all kinds of nice emotions. In fact, he's Abraham Lincoln, you know, one of the most moral men in the universe or in history. Now, Dick wrote about this. You know, when he wrote this, he, he adds this, well, his comments, I read them before, early in the episode. He, he says, whatever shape we'll take, wherever we go, whatever we become, this is still going to be the judge of humanity. All right, so there's this concept of humanity that transcends our our physical evolution. Now, I don't know if that's plausible or we should even go there. I mean, certainly we don't apply this backwards to animals. I mean, we don't talk about the morality of, of lions and deer and things like that, do we? Um, so we can see, I guess, morality among some primates and, and apes. But I don't know if we should project that back. So this idea that whatever we become, this really undermines his whole argument he's been making about posthumanism. Um, so I think I'm not sure how much we could. And I'm not sure we should say these things that Dick says in 1976 about this story are necessarily what he was thinking in 1953. But who knows? I, he, I mean, he's not fully consistent here is my point. Now the idea, whatever will become, does suggest strongly what he's that he's talks that he's got posthuman in his mind, but he often kind of separates the posthuman from human morality in stories like um, World of Talent and the Golden Man in particular. Less so in Simon Heal My Daughter, Child Simon Heal My Child. Now, throughout all the stories about atomic mutants and, and psychics, Dick reminds us that the fundamental problem with being posthuman is not biological, but moral, right? especially in The Golden Man. They may well be sociopaths or indifferent to human life, but giving such people power over us will be catastrophic. That's the real problem, right? So the judge of whether we can trust the posthuman is whether they, they kind of meet this test of humanity. The more subtle part of human is, is how the aliens from Rexor learned how to become so kind when they took over human bodies. And this is something I wish we could explore more. I wish Dick had a, like a sequel to this story where we learn more about the Rexorians. Did they watch humans in action? They certainly didn't watch Lester and learn how to be a good father. Are they just good people? Is this how they interact with their kids? So are they humans? Dick's definition of human on Rexor. Good parents, good children good lovers, you know, friendly and kind and all these kinds of things. Or as Jill brother, Jill's brother Frank explains, he kind of gives an explanation here. He says the Rexorians learned how to replicate human actions by reading romance novels, which is super fascinating because we actually learn a lot about our relationships, not from watching relationships. I mean, I guess we watch our parents, but sometimes we idealize our parents' relationships. I mean, how many of us really can imagine our parents maybe having an affair, for instance, you know, and they might, you know, statistically, many of our parents did do that. 
we trust the statistics on these things. Now, it's striking that it's a consumer good presenting the idealized model of human behavior that becomes the most human form of family life for Dick. So all of Dick's complaining about consumerism and conformity and how consumption makes us think alike, he's admitting here that a consumer good, a romance novel, is being used to train these Rexorians on how to be a, you know, fit in. And that's partially why they don't fit in, right? Because they, they don't understand how real relationships work. They get it from romance novels, which is not a good model. And this is not at all a, a silly point or a joke. For too many of us, our model of the perfect relationship comes from movies, television, novels. It's not just that these forms of media create unrealistic and unreachable romantic goals, right? That, you know, I guess in the romantic comedy, right, the final scene is the marriage. Well, not in everyone, but in a lot of them, right? The final scene is the marriage or the, the couple getting together, or the right couple getting together, or, you know, some kind of restoration that ends with a happy relationship. And then the movie ends, right? And anyone who's been in a relationship knows that that's really when your problems begin. Maybe, I guess I want to make good movies, but it certainly gives us this idea that marriage is the end of the story. And there's this whole, all this reality television that's all about the perfect marriage or the ideal wedding. It, it sort of creates these unreachable romantic goals, right? And then not even to mention pornography and what that does to our conceptions of sexuality and how things go on in the bedroom. The problem with this is it sets us up for disappointment in later life. These stories in this media, these, these movies, they reinforce this ideological underpinning of romantic love, monogamy, fidelity, and the need to work hard at your relationships. That it shouldn't, if it comes natural, there's something wrong, right? That's the result. That's it. Whenever we come to people with advice, for advice about our troubled relationships, they say, well, you got to work at your relationships, right? Now, hopefully, most of us go into relationships for joy, um, not for more work. If we want more work, we could always work over time. So, anyways, that's, that's partially my views on, on this. I, I'm not sure where we should be training young people into relationships through fiction. As useful as fiction can be. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously doing this podcast. but Now, we can categorize this story, as I said before, with... The other examples of the emotionally abused and neglected wife pursuing an affair with a non-human entity. We got beyond the door, in the garden, and up withered apples. Now, Jill here is conscious of the change in her husband and soon has become aware that his body has been seized. So for all intents and purposes, she is having an affair. Her husband's mind is apparently still out there somewhere in some kind of purgatory, trapped away. By having this affair, she basically breaks her relationship with her husband and perhaps even condemns him to some sort of weird purgatory. So she's essentially murdering him, I guess, or, in, or imprisoning him. It's very convenient sort of affair because everyone else will be oblivious. So it's the ideal form. It's the affair no one knows you're having. Her infidelity will forever be a secret to everyone but her and her husband quote-unquote husband it's a really kind of wonderful twist on dick standard motif of the adulterous wife but that's certainly a motif of his 
So those are the, the three things I want to say about the story. One is let's in the analyze and take seriously Dick's argument about human, you know, the human nature and how that fits with posthumanism and what he said in other contexts about this theme. Second, this idea of the romance novel being the model for romantic relationships and whether it should be. I mean, here it's presented as something that works. It actually works out, but it's, it's because the the alien is able to just put on this mask so freely because whatever culture he comes from maybe doesn't have these things for so he's just play acting but the play acting is so pleasant to this woman that she just loves it and the third would be the the neglected and then adulterous wife i mean i think honestly i, I right now I, there probably are some but then and, and if i get to it I'll, I'll go back and i'll repair this statement but I can't think of any adulterous wife in all of Dick's fiction that wasn't justifiably adulterous, somehow being emotionally neglected or abused. Even in Clans of the Elfane Moon, where we have kind of a sympathetic man who, who had an adul adulterous wife, it's still, you see her point. So that's, that's a common motif of, of Dick. And I don't know how much adultery went into his own relationships or how, why he was anxious about it all the time. Um, but there it is. So that does it for, for Human Is. If I ever get around to watching the episode of of Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams on this, the Brian Cranston one, I'll probably watch it eventually. I'm so far behind on science fiction television, to be honest. I haven't watched the new season of Black Mirror. I'm just now watching or the Orville. I haven't got to Star Trek Discovery yet. I haven't even watched Westworld yet, so I must... You know, for science fiction fans, I'm I'm really not doing my due diligence and keeping up on with the culture. But uh, such as it is, I'm busy with other things. So, but I'll, I'll hopefully eventually get to it, and then maybe I'll comment on it. It, you know, I I hope they interpret this one pretty accurately because it's it's such a good story, and there's so many nice elements here to talk about. I really do hope they they deal with the the model. How does this alien? learn to be the ideal husband so uh that does it um thank you so much for listening if you have comments about this story please leave them below or write me at 100pagescast at gmail.com and don't forget that other series is there my main series american writers 100 pages at a time i'm looking currently at james fenimore cooper's leather stocking tales and um and then later on i'll look at a couple of the c novels so if you know, if you like early American literature, I'm doing that now, and it's it's a lot of fun, and you know, the great story of the American frontier. Uh, so I encourage you to go listen to that. Um, but otherwise, if you're just here for the Phil K. Dick Book Club, that's fine too. Um, thank you for your support and listening. And I'll be back next time with another story, and we can finally put to a close this long series of short stories. Um, I mean, we'll come back to the rest of them, but for there'll be a little break from short stories for, for, for a while. After the next episode, though, where we'll look at Autofac. Thank you again for listening. Come my tired thoughts home, That leaving dies, that leaving dies, that leaving dies. 